All right. Um, we are continuing um, to walk through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And uh, as we, um, I don't know, I, I hope you had a chance to listen to Pastor David last week. Um, and if you did not, then I want to encourage you to, to get online or whatever podcasting app you use and listen to his sermon because I thought um, Pastor David did such an exceptional job, right, of, of laying out for us in the summary where we've been through these first three and a half chapters. And as we get to, to the end of chapter four, making the clear case, right, that therefore we don't walk like we used to walk. We don't live like the Gentiles, like we used to live in sin, but now we walk in this new way. We do this new thing, right? And I thought he did such a great job of helping us to understand the thing that we Christians screw up all the time. Because we look at this new walk as if it is burdensome. And the real joy comes from living that life I used to live. But because I know Jesus, now I'm forced to walk this new way that's hard and burdensome, right? But I thought he did such an exceptional job making sure that we understood through the text that no, 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 that's not what's real. What's real is that we actually are blessed to be able to live this new life, to walk in this new way. Not that old way, but in this new thing, right? And, and the reason that it can feel hard is because that's all we've ever known, right? But that if we could just trust God, and who knows us better than God, who formed us intimately, knit us together, and his mother breathed life into us, right? If we could trust that God knows what he's doing and know what he created us for, then we would look at this differently, not as a, oh, we have to live this burdensome life, but that we get to. We get to say no to those things, and we get to live this way. Right? Because that way, as much as we thought it was what we wanted, listen to me, it has never, if you are honest with yourself, if you look in the mirror, and it has never satisfied your soul. Sin might be fun for a second, but it's never satisfied. But this new way that brings joy and peace and comfort, even when life is falling apart around us, this is a privilege that we get to walk in this way, right? And this, right, this, this thing that looks attractive, this old way, what did he call it? He called it funny money. It's counterfeit. It's fake, right? It ain't real. But this is real, and it's better, and we have the privilege of walking in this way, right? If we... we it was describing this, this to first service. This is why it's hard, right? So um, it's like we need to be repotted. I have at my house a lot of plants, and they're all actively dying. I don't do well. And because she's not here, Carrie's visiting her mom, Carrie and Aubrey visiting her mom in the Quad Cities today. She's not here. I can tell you this. She does not either. She also does not do well in keeping these things alive. And we have this one that somebody gave her for her birthday. And it's this, this beautiful like cactus thing. And it's full and it's beautiful. And when I say it is, I mean it was. Because it's starting to die. And now it's got like three little strands. And whenever you touch it, things fall off. 
right? And, and so she's trying to nurse it back to health. It's not going to happen, right? But somebody told us the problem was that we didn't repot it, right? That, that it was here in this pot, and what we were supposed to do was to repot it into this new environment, right? And in, in this new environment, that it would thrive, and it would be what it was created to be and supposed to be. But because we left it here in this old environment, it's starting to shrivel up and dry out and, and be dead. That's what a lot of us do in our Christian life, right? We're made new, right? We respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ with sincerity. We turn from our sin and we embrace Jesus, but we try to do that while still living in this life that we kind of know and are comfortable with. And it doesn't work. And so um, we know that we are supposed to live a different life. That's what Pastor David broke apart for us last week with the renewing of our mind, being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul will continue today in chapter 5 walking through this. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. If not, there's some in the chairs in front of you. And we're going to look at 21 verses today. It's going to be okay. We're going to go fast. Okay? Um, so dig in with me. And he starts this, therefore, right, because you don't have to live that old life, because you're not walking as the Gentiles did anymore, you're not living that way, you're embracing this new life, therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children, right? And, and, and so he starts off by saying, right, we're going to live this new kind of life, here's the best way to do it, imitate God. And you know, man, especially if you're parents, right, you know that imitation happens, right? The, the kids don't always do what you say, but they do what they see. You can tell them a hundred times not to use that word, but if you use that word, they're going to use that word. Plus, they're going to use it at a time that embarrasses you. They're going to say it at the grocery store in front of everybody in their loud voice. And you're going to say, where did you hear that word? Don't ask them that question because then they're going to answer it. Well, I learned it from you. It doesn't work, right? We do what we, we imitate. Our kids do it, right? And, and that's, all, that's all Paul is asking us to do here. Imitate your father. Imitate your father. You are beloved children of God. Therefore, be imitators of him. You're like, but I don't know exactly what God does all day, every day. I've never seen God. Sure you have. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the perfect picture, representation, God in flesh. He is the perfect representation of the invisible God. When Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, here's what Paul's saying. Be like Jesus. More and more each day, be like Jesus. Right? And that's what we've been asking you to do as, as elders, pastors, staff, um, ministry leaders. That, that's what we're always encouraging people to do in discipleship. Discipleship isn't complicated, right? It's be more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. And then be more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today. Right? Christian discipleship is really just growing up in this to imitate God to be like Jesus. Right? And so, so in this text, Paul's going to tell us that as we imitate God, as we grow to be like Jesus, there are three markers for that, 
right? And the first one you'll see in verse 2 is that we're going to walk in love. Why? Because God is love. And then he's going to spend a a big chunk of time talking about, uh, in verses 5 through 14, talking about how we're going to walk in light. Because God is light. There's no darkness in him or near him. And then he's going to end in in telling us that, that also to imitate Jesus, we need to walk in wisdom and what that looks like. So let's break this apart here, starting in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. You want to be more like Jesus, then you love like Jesus loved. How did he love? Completely. Right? You know this. And unfortunately, this is one of those things that's become so normal in the church that it doesn't blow our minds like it should. How much does Jesus love us? How much love has he lavished on us that we should be called children of God? How did he love us uh, while we were still enemies, right? He loved us so much that he gave himself up as a fragrant offering of sacrifice to God. Jesus literally suffered and died out of love for you to the glory of the Father. And we're called to live like that. That is the very first, most clear statement that he makes here. He's like, right, therefore imitate God as beloved children. How do you imitate God? You be like Jesus. What does that mean? It means you love like he loved. What's the word tell us? That Jesus came and he loved us and he came full of grace and truth. If we're going to love like Jesus loved... We're going to have to figure out how to live lives that are full of grace and truth. There are plenty of Christians I know that are full of grace and not a lick of truth. And there are plenty of Christians that I know that, man, they have got truth like a hammer. But not an ounce of grace to go with it. But if we're going to love like Jesus, then we're going to have to figure this thing out where we come with grace and truth. Right? Where, where we live in such a way where we are full of grace for people that are hurting and broken and struggle. For people that don't know what salvation is and don't know what God offers. And we are also going to have to figure out how to live in a way of truth where we are not acquiescing or participating in things that are contrary to the will of God. That is not neat. Listen to me. That is messy. Living and loving like Jesus means that it will not be simple for you. It will be messy. Grace is messy. Love and truth together is messy. But that's what we're called to do. He says, here's the thing. We're, we're, we're getting to live this new life. You can move away from the old life. You can live in this new life. And you've got to do that by imitating God, living like Jesus. And the first thing is walking in love. And that is a tall order. And not only do we walk in love, but, but we have to then walk in light, right? We walk in light because Jesus has nothing to do with darkness, right? Jesus has nothing to do with sin, nothing to do with darkness. So here's how Paul frames this. He says, but sexual morality, right? Live in love, right? Because you are beloved children of God, so walk in love, Right? But sexual morality and impurity or covetousness, man, they must not even be named among you. 
Because that's not proper for the saints. Listen to me. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. Right? I mean, you just are. Like Saint Janet. Now, not like the Catholic Church saint, right? Like she didn't, she didn't like perform some miracles that we verified, right? We didn't give her a day, like St. Janet's day. Although, how fun would that be? All right. We, but we're not going to do it, right? But in this sense, if you are a follower of God, you are a saint. You're a saint because you're holy. And you're not holy because you're holy. You're holy because Jesus made you holy. Like, I mean, you're not holy. I'm not holy, but yet we are, right? This is this, this is this weird thing that happens on the cross when we choose to follow Jesus. Our sin and garbage and darkness, all of that gets put on him on the cross. It's hanging on him on the cross. And in turn, we get to put on his righteousness, his holiness, like a robe, and in that holiness, we become saints. And what Paul's saying here is, if you're walking in the light, then you have to act like a saint, right? And as a saint, that means there is no sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness. Those things aren't anywhere near you because those aren't fitting for a saint. And, and he marries sexual morality and covetousness um, and all this impurity. He marries them together because at the core, at the core of them, they all come from the same sin. The same sin of trying to fulfill our unhealthy appetite in whatever way suits us. Right? What does is, what is John say in 1 John? The lust of the eyes and, and the lust of the flesh. Right? We see it, we want it, we take it. This is the sin from the beginning as people have tried to make themselves God. It didn't work for Lucifer, Satan, the devil, right? He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. He was punished and cast out of heaven. It didn't work for Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When they wanted to be like God, so they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And they were cast out of the garden. And it does not work for us either. But we can't imitate God. We can't be God, right? We can't be God and pursue these appetites however we feel like it. Sexual morality and covetousness and impurity. We can't do that, right? But we can imitate God. It's proper for sainthood. And then he says, let there be no filthy talk, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So basically, don't even talk about these immoral things. You know Why? Because it's not just talk. Because what comes out of your mouth lives in your heart. What comes out of your mouth lives in your heart. So don't even, don't even talk about those things because that means they live in your heart. One of the greatest markers for, for spiritual maturity that I know is, is, is what makes you laugh and what makes you weep. What makes you laugh and what makes you weep are real good indicators of what's in your heart. Paul says, you got to walk in light. You can't have anything to do with this stuff. And now he's going to say some things that are hard. He says, you can be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, they have no inheritance 
in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says, you are a saint. You actually have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. You, as a follower of Jesus, are actually royalty in his kingdom, right? But you have no part in his kingdom if you're going to practice these immoral and impure things. And we got to unpack what exactly that means, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here, here's kind of how we frame this, right? There's... There's some false teaching that exists in our world that is very dangerous. And oftentimes churches are guilty of it. And I am afraid that it will damn some people to hell. And we have got to understand what Paul is saying here. Right? He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, because of those sins, because of the sexual morality, the impurity, those who are covetous, those who are idolaters, because of those things, don't be fooled by what foolish teachers will tell you. Right? Don't be deceived by empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is hell. Right? It's judgment for the sin that's in your life. You can either have Jesus pay for it or you can pay for it yourself. But the wrath of God will come upon sin. It happened to Jesus on the cross. And and, and if if you allow that to count for you, if you accept and follow and surrender to Jesus, then the wrath of God for your sin was poured out on Jesus. But if you refuse that, then you will have to pay for it on your own. And the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Hell is very real, and Paul here is warning. The reason he calls those things idolatry, right, is because they are. They're elevating something else to the level of God. And I'm choosing to follow it instead. And so we have to be really careful here about what Paul's saying. I think what Paul is saying very clearly is that there are going to be some people who are sorely mistaken and disappointed. These are the people Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. These are the people Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, where they say, Lord, Lord, what do you mean? We we knew your name. We talked about your name. We prophesied in your name. We taught in your name. And Jesus is going to say what? Depart from me. I never knew you. And it's going to be tragic. And so we have to really park here because this is, this, this is going to cause us some questions, right? What exactly does all of this mean? Because if you've come to this church or, or any church, really, that preaches the gospel, you've heard time and time again, we talked about it back in Ephesians 2, salvation comes by grace through faith, not in good works so that anyone could boast, right? So salvation isn't supposed to be about what you do or don't do. Salvation is supposed to be about the grace of God that you access through faith, okay? But now Paul seems to be saying that if you have certain behaviors, right, that you are open to the wrath of God. So what exactly does that mean, right? Does it mean that you can lose your salvation if you sin too much, right? Like, like 
hey, I'm good. I've accessed salvation by grace through faith. But if I'm not careful and I keep doing these things, then God will take it away from me or that I will be surrendering it. Does it mean um, that, that maybe that person only has some head knowledge about Jesus, but they've never really surrendered to Jesus? What exactly does it mean that these people that practice these things are open to this kind of thing? And, and Paul's writing this to the church, so he wants to warn them. What exactly does it mean? And if I can lose my salvation by sinning too much, then man, what's the magic number? Who's keeping score? Because I want to know, right? I don't want to mess that up. I, I don't want to get close to that line. I don't want to be anywhere near that line. And so we really have to unpack what Paul's saying here, and we really have to understand. And, and, and I, I don't necessarily want to have a debate this morning, like in this instance, about whether you can lose your salvation or not, whether you can walk away from your salvation or not. I don't believe that that's a, a possibility for someone who is truly repentant. I know there are other people that believe that you can choose to walk away from your salvation. And, and I'm not into, in this moment, having that arm wrestle debate. Here's, I think, where we can all land based on what this is saying. There are people that will call on the name of God that have no business being confident about their salvation. There are people that will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all of these things? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Does that mean you were saved and you chose to live in a way that went against your salvation and so you forfeited it? Maybe. I don't think so. I think instead probably what it means is that there are many of us who will make intellectual decisions that Jesus is real, that he's true, and that I need him. But it'll never get here. And it'll never impact the way we live. Regardless, what Paul is saying here is this. You can't have Jesus and keep living in the old way. Having Jesus means that you're new, right? It means that the Holy Spirit transforms your mind in the way you think, and that in response bleeds out into what you do. You are more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. We all sin. Everyone sins, right? The catch isn't that you have to be free from sin. The catch is that you can't live in wanton, deliberate sin. When you sin and you know it's a sin and you don't even care and you have no desire to change and it doesn't hurt you, that that sin is part of what hung on Jesus as he hung on the cross, right? All of my sin, past, present, and future, all of that sin gets laid on Jesus as he is on the cross and I'm going to wantonly sin and add to the weight of that while he hangs on the cross? Like I'm doing that on purpose with no desire to grow and no desire to be different and no, no grief over what I'm causing him, I got no reason to be confident in my eternal destination if that's my attitude. Because that puts me directly in line with the wrath of God that comes on the sons and daughters of disobedience. God has nothing to do with darkness, and you can't wantonly walk in darkness and say, hey, God and I are good, and shame on the teacher that tells you it's fine, because he or she will answer for that as well. 
Let's keep going. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them, right? The sons of disobedience. Don't be partners with them because they're walking in darkness. You used to walk in darkness. You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. So say goodbye to that, right? At one time you were there. You, you lived in this old pot, but you've been repotted, right? So walk here, live here. Don't do that. Because you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Right? I, I, I love this. Right? I, I want to be clear though. When he says don't be partners with them, with the sons of disobedience, he's not saying that you must ostracize them. He's not saying that you don't be with them or pray for them or encourage them, spend time with them. Of course you do those things. They're the mission. They're the hurting world that needs the hope of Jesus. They're the mission. But here's what it does mean. It means that you don't agree or placate or participate with them. And you be careful. Because I have seen it too many times where a Christian, for the sake of encouraging them to God, spends time in those arenas. And instead of encouraging people this way, and being more like Jesus, they end engaging and participating in these things that are not okay. You be mindful. Right? We don't do those things. We walk as children of light. And what's the fruit of that? The fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, right? If you're not sure, if you're not sure, man... I struggle with sexual morality. Listen, we all struggle with sexual morality, but at what point in my struggle with sexual morality have I given myself over to it and I've just quit trying? And at what point am I still wrestling and trying to become more like Jesus? I don't want to be open to the wrath of God, right? So how do I know if I'm, if I'm trying to grow and if I'm confessing? What, are you confessing your sin? Are you trying to kill it? Are you trying to be more like Jesus? Are you trying to move, right? But here's the marker, Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. Are you growing in your life in things that are good and right and true? Because they come from light. Fruit comes from light. You know what comes from darkness? Mold. And mushrooms, a little bit. And we asked last service, how many of you really hate mushrooms? How many of you really like mushrooms? We say it's okay if you like mushrooms, even though they come from darkness, because the blood of Jesus is real, and it has redeemed your mushrooms. But if you don't like mushrooms, I'm going to say that's biblical. <laughs> right? Because it comes from darkness. I like mushrooms, so it doesn't matter. None of that like, has anything to do with what Paul's actually saying. Let's move on. Right? He says, walk as children of light, because the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. That's what we should be seeing in our lives, and that is what gives us confidence. Not that we are so good, right? You can't have confidence just in your good works, but knowing that I'm following Jesus should produce good works, should produce things that are good or right or true, that should give me confidence, because I can't do good on my own. I can't be right on my own. I could fake it for a while, but I can't be true on my own. So if my life is consistently producing things that are contrary to my stupidity, then that gives me confidence that the grace of God is working in me. 
So don't take any part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak about the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the thing, right? So not only am I producing this light, right? These good, kind, true things in my life. But as I live that way, that is exposing the darkness of the world. That's a way that I share the gospel. It's a way that I share the truth about Christ. Listen, Satan has blinded an entire generation. Has darkened them. You know people who call evil good and good evil. You know people that embrace sin as if it's virtuous. You know this. How do we combat that with grace and truth? And part of the way we combat it in grace and truth is by living a way that shines light where there's darkness. Listen, here's the deal. You're not going to get a lot of unsaved people to be excited about coming to church. They have a tendency to steer clear of the Bible and Bible preaching churches because the exposure isn't complimentary. It doesn't make them feel good. Instead, it challenges them. And they occasionally will wander through the door, and it's awesome. But a lot of us think, well, that's what the church is for, right? The church is for just getting people there, and then we'll be okay. The problem is this. That is a wrong view of the church. The church is actually for, yes, the church is for shining light where there's darkness. But in that, you understand that you are the church, right? We come here to sing praises to our God and to give him glory and to be equipped and to be equipping one another for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is going and being light and exposing darkness for what it is and living in a way that draws. That's what we're supposed to be about. And to do that, we got to be careful how we walk. Not just in love, not just in light, but we got to walk in wisdom. Paul ends this chunk. He's got these, these few verses at the end about walking in wisdom. He says, so look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as foolish, but as wise. You know what the word foolish means in the Bible? Foolish in the Bible does not mean silly. Foolish in the Bible does not mean that you make silly mistakes. We all make silly mistakes right? Because we're human, we're prone to failure, we make silly mistakes. Foolishness in the Bible is disobedience. Foolishness means that I'm rejecting God and I'm going my own way. Foolishness means that I'm trying to be God. And that's where sin comes from. I got a sign in my kitchen that reminds me, I think I've probably told you this before, but it reminds me, it says, today I will let God be God because I suck at it. Because I need that reminder. Foolishness tries to do it my way. Wisdom is following God. He says, be careful then how you walk. Not as foolish, not as unwise, but as wise. And the wise person is walking in a way that makes them more like Jesus. And in that, we're making the best use of our time. Because the days are evil. 
Are, are you thinking ahead, right? Like you go to work every day, you know who you work with, you know, you know what they're like, you know who they are. Are you leveraging that? Right? Do I know? Am I careful about my conversations when I'm around this coworker? Because I know, I know this coworker has a bent this way. And I don't want to say anything that would, that would accidentally convince them of this or draw them here. Instead, I want to be telling them about the hope that I have in me, right? Jesus has made me different, has given me hope. And I want to make sure I'm highlighting that in these situations because I want to make the most of the time that I'm given. Why? Because the days are evil. I don't have to work hard to convince you that the days are evil. The days are evil. So don't be foolish. Don't be disobedient, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's that you're becoming more like Jesus, that you're living in love, that you're living in light, and that you're walking in wisdom. And then these last couple of things here. How do we walk in wisdom? Well, it's all about the Holy Spirit. So, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled instead with the Holy Spirit. And so um, I know it talks about being drunk with wine and debauchery there, but that text is not actually about alcohol, right? I mean, we can discern some things about alcohol from it. You'll never hear me say that it's bad or evil to drink alcohol, right? Paul didn't write, stay away from wine. He said, don't get drunk with wine. Debauchery comes from being drunk. Listen to me, don't get drunk. Don't decide that you can get drunk and, and say, well, I've got Christian freedom to, to drink. Yeah, you have Christian freedom to drink. You don't have Christian freedom to be foolish and violate what Scripture says. And it says you can't get drunk. You, you shouldn't even play with it. Or you want to have a beer, have a beer. You want to have a glass of wine, have a glass of wine. You want to have a scotch, whiskey. I don't, I don't know what you drink. I don't know your life. You, whatever, you do you. But if you're playing with it, if you're trying to walk as close to this line as possible without going over it, you're being foolish, disobedient, right? When your glass of wine turns into two or three, or I'm just going to kill the bottle because there's not much left in it, you're crossing a line, right? But Paul says you don't get drunk. Instead, what this text is really about, it's about the desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's this wonderful comparison. If you don't know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just look at somebody who's drunk, and that'll tell you what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit on the other side, right? When you are drunk, you think you are a good singer. You're not. When you get drunk, you think you can dance. You cannot dance. When you get drunk, you have all of this undeserved confidence. Your personality changes. Your walk changes. You stagger. Some of you get angry when you get drunk. Something you wouldn't do normally comes out of you when you're drunk. The alcohol changes you. What do you think it means to live through the power of the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit changes you. You walk different. It gives you confidence you don't have a right on your own to have. Instead of muddying your mind, the Holy Spirit brings you clarity so that you can discern what the Lord's will is. You want to know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You get a picture of that when you think of somebody that's drunk. It changes them. The Holy Spirit changes you. 
Think about the, the big campaigns we have to keep people from drinking and driving, right? Basically what we say to them is if you want to get drunk, right? If you want to be impaired, give up your keys, give control to someone else, right? Now, I don't ever want you to be drunk. It's a sin to be drunk. It's debauchery. The Bible says don't do it, right? But it is a good idea if you're drinking that you give your keys away. Common sense, right? So, so back on the other side, right? It's the same thing when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm giving away control. I'm telling the Holy Spirit that I want my behavior to be changed. I want to be different because of the Holy Spirit, and I'm giving away control. I'm putting him in control. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you live wise? How do you live and balance this messy grace where there's love and truth? How do you walk in light and reject the darkness and become more and more like Jesus every day? Right? How do you walk with wisdom? You got to be filled with the Holy Spirit because those are things you cannot do on your own. They're things you now get to do. You didn't get to do them before, but God made you new in Christ, and now you get to. And just like being drunk is not a one-day thing. You don't get drunk once and then stay drunk forever. You don't ask the Holy Spirit to fill you once and then just not bother with him again. This is a daily endeavor of asking the Holy Spirit to be powerful in my life, to take control of my life, to influence my walk every day. And when you do that, your life will look different, right? You'll address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what you won't do? When you're living this new life in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're, you're walking in love and, and dealing with this messy grace, right? And you're walking in light and refusing the darkness, shining light where it needs to be, and you're walking in wisdom. You know what you won't do when the Holy Spirit is powerful in you? You won't bemoan it. You won't remember that old pot that you used to live in and look at it longingly. You'll embrace this goodness that God has for you. And then you'll submit to one another. When the Holy Spirit is powerful in you and in the members of the body of the church, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? Because the Holy Spirit will be guiding and directing all of us. And that submission, we'll get into this next week as we finish chapter 5, will we'll start to impact our marriage relationships our parenting relationships in chapter 6, right? And our relationships in the body as we keep going. So, that's where we wrap up. Pastor David did an excellent job reminding us that we don't have to live this life. We get to live this life. It is not a burden, it is a joy. And if we are going to live this life, we are going to say yes to godliness, we are going to say yes to imitating Jesus. We're going to live in grace and truth, right? We're going to demonstrate love. We're going to walk in light. We're going to reject the old life. And we're going to be new because we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Christian life, I've told you this, I don't know how many times I'll say it one more time. The Christian life is not complicated. Complicated. 
It's not easy, but it's not complicated. It's pretty easy to figure out. So here's my, here's my wrapping up today. Can you confidently say, with all confidence, that you are walking in love, that you are living in messy grace, that fully expresses truth and fully expresses the grace of God and the love of God? If you're not living there, then there's your action point. You need to do it. Can you confidently say that you're living in light? Right? That you're walking in light. That you're walking in a way that rejects the darkness of your old way of life and embraces the way that Jesus would live, imitating Jesus. If you can't say that I've let go of that sin, then you know what? There's your action point. You need to figure out what it means to ruthlessly cut that sin out of your life. And that's not a by-yourself kind of thing, by the way. That's a community kind of thing. That's a let's talk about that, let's pray for each other, let's do this together kind of a thing. And if you're not walking in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, if you're not asking the Spirit to fill you daily, and not just asking, but then following what He gives you, then there's your action point. Because this is the call to what it means to imitate God and to be more like Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Thanks for being here this morning, um, and, uh, and we'll call it a day. Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind, and we love you. We thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth that we can learn and grow in. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who through his sacrifice and, and death and resurrection makes us new when we surrender to him. But God, we know as we surrender to him that we need to start to grow to live like him, to be like him. Father, we love you, and we ask for your help as we endeavor to do that daily. Give us more of your Holy Spirit. Fill us. Continually fill us with your Spirit. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Go in peace.